Awesome. Welcome to our new teaching series, Mountain Peaks. My name is Nate, and we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at passages in the scripture where a man and God have this remarkable life-changing experience that takes place. And these scriptures that we're going to be looking at are going to show us the very nature and the character of who our God is. And we're going to ask ourselves a couple questions each week. The first question is, is what mountain is God asking me to climb? Because you have to see, church, God has a mountaintop experience ready for all of us, amen? But who of us is willing to go, you know what, God, I'm ready to trek. Even though it may be difficult, difficult God, I'm ready to trek to the top to have an experience with you. None of us were designed to live on the mountain peak. But it's from that mountain experience and that mountain peak experience that we are transformed and changed. And then it changes the way that we live in the valley. Amen, church? It's that experience with God that changes us, the hope in the hopeless world. The wisdom and understanding that we need that only can come from God that we can bring to the earth and into the valley that we live in. The other question we're going to ask is, is what mountains or what mountain is standing in front of us? And if we, were speak, if we were to speak to the mountain by faith, God wants to collapse it and bring it to the ground. And so we're going to look at a piece of scripture real quick this morning in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. It says, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. That's where we're going today. So I want to encourage you, church, and over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to come with a big faith, ready to experience what God has for you. Let's not sit back and go, okay, well, this is good, but let's take forth and move forward in our faith and what God has for us today. So this morning, would you give a warm welcome to Pastor Jeff as he kicks off our first week of Mountain Peaks. All right, everybody, welcome. Glad to have you guys here at New Life. Want to say a big hello to our North Platte campus as well as those of you who are worshiping with us here at the Kearney campus. How many of you guys are excited to be at New Life Church today? Come on. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. That's exciting. I love it. I love it. Now, look, you guys just heard what the series is all about. We just, you just heard a fantastic song that really kind of encapsulates the heart of this series. And so I get the privilege now of just jumping into week one. So week one, where we're going to go with this series, is going to take us historically... All right, historically, although this mountaintop is in slight argument amongst theologians, but historically, I'm going to take you to the top of a mountain that a friend of mine uh, and I, we went to in 2016, the top of a mountain called Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is in Israel, and it's at the top of this mountain that the scripture that we're going to look at today took place. Now, when I got up to the top of the mountain, there was a number of buildings. One of those buildings had to be a church, because if you've ever been to Israel before, you'll know that everywhere something significant significant biblically happened, somebody built the church, right? To preserve it, to make it like this holy place and, you know, to have a place for people to come from around the world and experience the Holy Land. So this is one of those moments at the top of Mount Tabor is this church. And when you go into this church through that door and it's a selfie, lo and behold, what do you know, right? It's a selfie. I, this is... This is not me trying to get my face, you know, here again. I, you don't need to see any more than just one of me. That's painful enough. Um, 
So inside of this church, though, this very moment, this place right here with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah at the top is where this passage of Scripture is historically believed to have taken place. So if throughout this sermon I happen to mention Mount Tabor in the process, it's because we're talking about the very mountain that the Scripture took place on. So let's jump in. Some of you already know exactly what the Scripture is. Others of you, maybe you are new to Christianity, you're getting ready to get your mind blown away. For many of you, you that have been walking with Christ for a considerable amount of time, I guarantee you there's things about this passage that you've never heard before and you've never gleaned before. And today, God's going to use this passage of scripture to rejuvenate and renew your vision and your passion for him. Let's jump in and talk about the passage of scripture that takes place on top of Mount Tabor. It's found in Luke. It's also found in Matthew and in Mark. We're going to use Luke chapter 9. It says about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray. This would be that Mount Tabor. All right. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face, that's Jesus' face, was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared, right? So they are there in person and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, the cross that's getting ready to happen, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep, not sure how. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. I know what we should do. Let's make three shelters or three homes as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. When you go to the top of Mount Tabor, guess what? Somebody took him up on this idea and built that. But even as he, as he was saying this, a cloud came over them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They decided not to tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Amazing, right? It's referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus being transformed into his heavenly body. So let's just kind of recap really quick. Jesus goes up Mount Tabor with three of his disciples to pray. When he's at the top of the mountain and he's in that moment of prayer, his body, his body literally is transfigured from an earthly body to his heavenly body. All right. Then Jesus meets with two of the most revered patriarchs of the faith, Moses and Elijah. These two guys are revered patriarchs of the faith at this particular time and moment. And they still are even to 2017. Uh, The three disciples were the only ones that got to see this amazing event that took place. And here's a, here's, a, here's a crux. Here's like the key moment. God the Father spoke on top of the mountain. He spoke and said, this is my son. This is who I've chosen. Listen to him. So the question might be like, why? Like, why did this take place? Why did it have to take place? And another question would be like, what are we supposed to gain from this mountaintop experience? What is it about this mountaintop experience that Jesus is trying to use, God's using through his word to speak to our lives today? What is it about this experience that would be so relevant to us today that is going to transform us just like Jesus was transformed? What is it? And to get those answers, we're going to look at this from three different sides of the mountain. The first side is going to be Jesus in the mountain. So one of the things you need to recognize is that Jesus went up the mountain to do something. He went up to pray. Here's Jesus, God's only son, 
How many times in Scripture does it talk about that Jesus is getting away to pray? More often than you might think. And here's another moment where Jesus is getting away to pray. What is it that Jesus is getting away to pray about, though? He's getting away up on top of the mountain with only three disciples to pray and to seek God's will for the mission that he's on. Jesus knows full well what his mission is. His mission is to come to this earth, live a sinless life, give his life on the cross, raise again from the dead and ascend back to heaven so that one day in the future, still yet to come near, I would say, that he's going to come back for his church. That was the mission, to restore mankind back into right relationship with God through his pure death on the cross. Jesus goes to the mountaintop to meet with God the Father to verify, I know what my mission is. I know why you sent me. I just want to come back to you one more time and hear you say to me, now's the moment, activate the cross. Now's the moment. Because one of the things you need to know about Jesus is that Jesus literally said with his own lips, I don't do anything that my father isn't telling me to do, and I don't go anywhere that my father isn't telling me to go. So for Jesus to go back to the father and literally say, is now the moment? I know the mission, but is now the moment? That was profound for Jesus. This was an experience for Christ that literally emboldened his mission. He comes walking down off of Mount Tabor with this emboldened, emblazoned mission, knowing that I'm getting ready to walk into the valley of suffering because approximately six months later, after this amazing encounter on top of this mountain, Jesus was walking face to face with the suffering of the cross. Six months later. How does he walk face to face with the suffering of the cross and do it with such amazing tenacity? He does it because he met with his father on top of the mountain. So if it's important for Jesus to climb the mountain and to meet with the Father, how important is it for you and me to climb the mountain and meet with God? Life-altering, life-changing. If Jesus did it, got away and prayed, and climbed the mountain to get away with God, and his whole life is transformed at that, at that moment, and he walks down more emboldened than ever before to accomplish the mission, I would say to you and me, if we aren't meeting God on top of the mountain, we aren't accomplishing his mission. If we aren't experiencing the glory of God in our life over and over again, we aren't accomplishing the mission. So that's Jesus in the mountain. How about this next side, which would be us and the mountain? So to see the us part of it, because we weren't there, we have to look through the eyes of Luke who wrote it. And thankfully, we have Peter who, who talked, and he, he, brought some, he brought some life to it, that I'm assuming that he shares this, and Luke ends up writing you know, part of this story. So we, we have these encounters. So here's Peter. Peter's on top of the mountain with God. Peter is like freaking out. He he doesn't know what to think about this whole scenario. In fact, it says in some of the accounts that they were literally taken with fear. Like these men, Peter, James, and John, they were taken by fear. If you read other, other passages in Matthew and Mark, fear struck their heart. So he, here's Peter. He doesn't know exactly what to do. And what I love about Luke is that Luke just spells it out there, right? Like Luke says this. He goes, Peter, not even knowing what he was going to say, blurted out. You guys ever had one of those moments in your life where you, you were kind of in this awkward, anxious, nervous situation and it was quiet and you didn't really know what to do and then all of a sudden you find yourself just like talking randomly and blurting things out? Some of you, you've done that, right? And you've regretted it, right? Like, so for, and, and your friends are next to you like, I'm sure that 
you know, James and John are like, Peter, like, shut up, man. Like, cut it out. Stop talking. This is an amazing moment. But Peter, he's like caught into this anxious, nervous situation. He doesn't know what to do. So he just starts talking. And I'm pretty sure it came out more like this. It probably came out like this. Like, hey, Jesus, like, it's good for us to be here, right? Like, right? Like, we're going to live through this, right? And we're going to see tomorrow, right? Because this is really freaking me out. And then, you know, before he gets an answer, because Jesus isn't responding to that, he goes, okay, Jesus, I, I know, I know what we should do. I got this great idea, right? Like, I know that this holy moment's taking place, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house, and Moses' a house, and Elijah' a house, and then we're just all going to be happy campers on top of Mount Tabor. It's going to be our mountain. We're going to live up here forever. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. This is what I love about Luke's encounter uh, of this moment that takes place is that while it says that while Peter is telling Jesus these deep, profound things, right, that he's discovering that needs to be done at this most holy moment, it says that a cloud came down, God spoke, he literally cut him off, like mid-sentence. So Peter, who knows what other grandiose ideas Peter had, but God saved him from all those and just cut him off. Like mid-sentence, Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I know what we should do. Let's build a house for you, Moses and Elijah. And then boom, God's voice like, no, basically, this is my son. I mean, that was a pretty awesome moment. I mean, you guys, we were all like raised, right? Don't cut other people off when they're talking. Like listen to them all the way out, right? And here's God, like he breaks that golden rule right there. And he, he probably does it for Peter's own good. Peter's own good. You can't really fault Peter, can you, for wanting to spend the rest of his life on top of that mountain with Jesus in this profound moment, can you? I mean, what if you were with God at that moment and then these patriarchs of the faith show up? Wouldn't you want to stay in that moment as well? And that's what Peter wanted to do. Many of us, we want to figure out how to escape the struggles and trials and difficulties and the challenges of this world and just find a mountaintop experience with God and just live the rest of our days there. But that isn't where God called us to live. Hear me well. The mountaintop God wants to call you to today. In fact, he's calling you by, by just the, the sheer fact that you're here today to hear this message. God's calling you to the mountaintop, but he isn't calling you to the mountaintop to live forever. He's calling you to the mountaintop to get a renewed vision for him and a renewed passion for him because you're going to go back into the valley and you're going to have to live in the valley of suffering. That's where Jesus had to go. That's where you and me are going to go. The valley, back into this world, and to project the good news of Jesus Christ. We go to the mountain to be renewed. We come here on Sunday morning to climb to the mountain to be renewed. We seek God in our personal time of prayer to be renewed with passion and vision so that we can live life, thrive in life in the valley. There's other things that we tend to do, though, when we have these encounters with God. Many of us, myself included, have been tempted with this. We have these incredible moments where God speaks to our life, and what do we think we need to do? We think we got to go do something about it now. Like Peter, like, wow, so powerful. we got to go build three houses. And many times we miss the very essence of what God's trying to do on the mountaintop. The best thing sometimes to do is just be still and know that God is God. Today, when God shows up in your life, don't get quick to go and do something for him. If you're going to be quick about anything, be quick just to wait in his presence. You find out who you are when you wait in his presence. Not about so much like what you need to do, 
It's more about who you are than what you do in God's presence. And we miss that all the time. Therefore, I believe that's why God interrupted him, to bring him back to who you are, not what you need to do. Because I know in my life, I've been in full-time ministry for over two decades. I've done a lot of church events, right? A lot of them. And um, wow, in all these church events, there's a lot of details. A lot of details that have to be done, you know, to make an event really, really good. And I have to confess to you that there have been many times that I've been up, wrapped up in, a, in an event, more focused on the details, and I've missed the very people that showed up to the event. It's like the purpose of all the details was to love and enjoy the people. But I missed the people and got focused on all the details. And I think that's exactly who we are with God many times. We're more focused on the, you know, actions and the activities that we need to do to somehow please God, that we do all those things in spite of it, and we miss the very presence of God. Church, I would say to you today, it's less about you being here going through the motion, although you need to be here. It's less about going through the motion. It's more about, God, I'm here just to meet with you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, God's not going to be impressed whether you know all the songs to the worship songs we're singing. He's not going to be impressed by that. He's going to be impressed by your heart. He's not impressed today by how much you gave in the offering or how much you didn't give in the offering. He's impressed by the heart. Right? That's where God's heart is. That's where his heart's at, and that's what he's looking for out of you and me. Peter's best response should have been this, just to pray, listen, and experience the presence of God. So that's for us today. Like, what can we glean from this mountaintop experience? Just to pursue the presence of God. It's not so much what you can say and what you can do. But secondly, we need to notice the significance of Moses and Elijah being there. Moses and Elijah? I mean, Moses is considered to be the great deliverer. Elijah is considered to be the greatest prophet. Like Moses, the deliverer who leads the people out of slavery, you know, uh, in, in the Old Testament, leads the Israelites out of slavery and bondage in, uh, in Egypt into the desert and eventually leads them right to the promised land where the leadership changes. Joshua leads them into the promised land. So Moses creates these laws. He comes down off of Mount Sinai with them, given to him from God. And he instructs the people on how they're supposed to live. The people at this very moment, as we read this scripture, are still fulfilling the law that Moses gave the people. Moses is a patriarch. Elijah? Elijah performed such incredible, miraculous miracles. The power of God worked through him in such amazing ways that the people are still in reverence and awe of Elijah. In fact, they speak about him and Moses often in their Jewish culture. So for Peter, James, and John, for these guys to see Moses and Elijah there with Jesus is a game changer for their faith, and it should be a game changer for our faith as well. Here's how it's a game changer. First, it says to everybody, Moses and Elijah, they're real dudes. The Old Testament now isn't just a book of fantasy stories. It isn't just tales that get passed down from one generation to another generation that you look back and you wonder to yourself, is that crazy story, did that crazy story really ever happen? Well, for Peter, James, and John, they looked and they saw Moses and Elijah in the flesh in their spiritual bodies, right then and there, instantaneously, God was making a bold statement to them as he's making it to us. The Old Testament is legitimate. You can trust every story in it because it's not just about fake men. It's about real men and women who are pursuing and seeking God. And therefore, they stand before you. It makes the Old Testament legitimate. 
So right off the bat, boom, there's one of the things that happens that solidifies their faith. It just takes it and makes it a game changer. Here's another game changer. Because Moses and Elijah were there, the two great patriarchs, they were there serving Jesus. So here's another big, bold statement. Moses and Elijah are not greater than Jesus. No one, in fact, is greater than Jesus. In fact, literally, just by them being there and their ministry to Jesus is making a bold statement that the ministry of Moses and Elijah and all the other Old Testament prophets and leaders was all being done so that Jesus could fulfill his ministry. All of it. Them literally being there is making a bold brass statement that's saying Jesus needs to fulfill his ministry. We did all of this so that he could. And we're here to continue to support it. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything now in the New Testament is pointing to Jesus. Everything always ends up pointing to Jesus. Is your life pointing to Jesus? There's more that was a game changer to their faith. And that was that Peter and these disciples, they got a glimpse of eternity. How many people have ever wondered what life will be like after death on this earth? Every single person. For Peter, James, and John, the question got answered once and for all. And I would suggest for you and me, if we read this passage and we look at it carefully, it's also making this big, bold statement for us. There is, for the first point, life after death. For the second point, it is good. It's good. Here's Moses and Elijah in these spiritual bodies. Spiritual bodies still fulfilling God's mission, by the way. They're not just sitting around eating grapes with little halos and wings. They're actually doing things that matter. You and me, life after death isn't just about some big, long party that lasts for eternity. There is a heavenly body that we get, and we're going to do things that matter. We're going to do things that matter. So we live on this, on this side of eternity, but soon eternity itself will begin for us. And I want to let you know right now, there's nothing to fear when Christ is your leader. Nothing to fear. But here's one last thing that I think is just profound, that's a game changer for their faith. And that was that Peter, James, and John, they heard Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about his exodus. Talking with Jesus about the cross. Talking with Jesus about the very suffering that Jesus was going to have to go through. Ministering to him in one way or the other. We don't have the details of the conversation. All we know is that they were talking about the suffering of the cross. Here's the profound thing that should rock your faith and be a game changer for your faith, and that's this. Heaven is aware of what's happening on earth. That means that God isn't absent. God is profoundly in perfect position and knows exactly what you're struggling with and what you're wrestling with and what you're going through. God's not absent from your life. You might pray and feel like he's not hearing me, but I'm telling you right now that's a lie. You might think that God lit the match and started humanity and then he walked away and lets humanity just kind of burn out on its own, but that is 100% a lie. God is very much active. He's so active that he knew the pain and the suffering that his own son was gonna go through. Moses and Elijah, part of heaven, they know about it. They're ministering to Jesus about it with something that's going to happen six months from that day. I'm telling you today, God's not absent from your life. He very much cares about what's going on, and he's very much active in what's happening in your life today. That should be a game changer for our faith. Game changer. Us and the mountain. The third thing about us and the mountain, though, it's very simple and very short, but very profound. 
And that is what I've already said a few times, but I want to drive it home right now. Jesus is confirmed as God's son. If there's any doubt in your mind whether Jesus is God's son, you need to go back and you need to read Luke chapter 9 again because God with his own mouth for the second time in Scripture now says, this is my son. Oh, by the way, you would do well to listen to him. You would do well to obey him. That is what God the Father says about his own son to us. So what does this mean now for you? What does it mean for you and the mountain? First off, the mountain of transfiguration is a mountain of suffering. It's a place where Jesus went to talk about his suffering. It's a place where Jesus went before he came down off that mountain and for six months walked a journey all the way to the cross. It was a mountain of suffering. So what kind of a mountain is it for you and me? It's a mountain that God's asking each of us to climb, and it's one of surrender to his plan. It's a, it's a mountain today that God's asking us to climb, a mountain where we surrender to his plan. Are you willing to climb the mountain where you finally lay your life down, you're finally transformed completely, where we completely surrender to God's plan? Because before you answer that, it involves two things. One, it's what you really like. It's going to be a mountaintop experience where God shows up in a profound, deep way in your life and blows your mind away. But if you're going to surrender to God's plan, you also need to know part of God's plan is going to be the valley of suffering. It's going to be. You're going to to end up going there at one time or another. But you need to know something today. Just like the Apostle Paul, he understood suffering. And he even looked at suffering and looked forward to it. Can you believe that? The Apostle Paul, he looked forward to suffering. Why did he do that? Because he realized what suffering would lead to. He realized suffering led to life. And that's exactly what Jesus realized when he's standing on top of Mount Tabor. In this moment of transfiguration, he's realizing that the moment of suffering that's getting ready to come is going to lead to profound life, and you and me are experiencing that profound life even to this day. Paul recognized suffering. It led to life. Here's how he said it in Philippians chapter 3. He goes, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's what we all want to know. But here's how he expounded on it. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That's not something we always want, by the way, or rarely want. So that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. Basically, Paul drives this home for you and me, and he goes, suffering, guys, it leads to death. That is true. But it's the death of self. And when suffering leads to the death of self, then life, life with Jesus forever comes alive. That's what happens. And all too often, we want the life with Jesus that lives forever, but we don't want to get there through the suffering that leads to death. But I'm telling you, there's only one way to get there. Suffering that leads to the death of self, which leads to Jesus and life with him forever. So you can't live on the mountaintop forever. You're not called to do it. But that's why passages like Psalms 23 become so vividly alive for us that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. His rod and his staff, it comforts us. It comforts us when we walk through the valley. So church, when you consistently climb the mountain to meet with God, then your faith grows strong and you'll, you will not collapse when the time of suffering comes. My encouragement to you today is this. Climb the mountain and meet with God. 
because there's a valley that we have to go live in. And the only way you're going to live it out in the valley and not collapse underneath the weight of the valley is when you've met consistently with God on the mountaintop. Here's one last piece for you and the mountain. That is the mountain of transfiguration is also a picture of hope. A picture of hope of what is to come. Your life and mine is like a vapor on this earth. It's going to be lived here for such a short period of time. And one day, one day, this passage of Scripture gives us great hope that one day we will have new bodies. We will be just like Moses and Elijah. And that's not a far-fetched statement. That's a promise out of God's Word. One day, you and me will be just like them. So life doesn't end here. There is a new body that's to come. There is a new hope. There is a new mission. There's a new eternity. Eternity with God is real, and faith in Jesus is worth it. And Paul said the very same thing, but he said it in these words. In Philippians 3, just a few verses later from what we read earlier, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Right on? Right on. We will, look, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. What is his body like? Read, read the passage in Luke chapter 9. It's going to blow you away. He's going to do that using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. In the end, Jesus is bringing everything under his control. Are you going to be brought there? Because if you're not being brought under his control, then you're going to be left to the side. And the hope, the hope in which we live today is a hope of the fact that Jesus is going to transform us through faith in him by his almighty power, which will conquer all things. So I encourage you today, I encourage you today, what is the mountain standing between you and God today? What's the mountain hindering you from giving it all and following Jesus today? Is it a mountain of addiction? Is it a mountain of sin? Is it a mountain of unforgiveness? Is it a mountain of past pain? Is it a mountain of trust? I don't know what it is. But whatever mountain is standing between you and God, I encourage you today, speak to that mountain and command it to be cast away, just like our campus pastors and campus hosts read that scripture at the very beginning of this teaching series. Speak to it and command it to be gone in Jesus' name. Because I guarantee you, whatever stands between you and God, it's God's will that that mountain go. Because until that mountain goes, you never get to climb the mountain that God has for you. We all need to climb the mountain that God has for us because there's a valley of suffering that we're all going to have to live in. So let me finish it with this. In your mind and in your heart, what is the most important thing that took place on top of Mount Tabor at that moment of transfiguration? What's the most important thing that took place up there? Let me just tell you what the most important thing was. It was the fact that God the Father spoke. That's the most important thing. Because what he said profoundly changes you. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Obey him. So today, church, why are we here? We're here to listen to the voice of Jesus. And when you seek after Jesus, you find him. The Bible clearly gives us the promise and the hope that when you seek after Jesus with all of your heart, you find him. Have you found Jesus lately? Has Jesus spoke to you lately in your heart? Has he spoke to you here? Has he led you and have you felt like you've been guided by Jesus? 
Because I'm telling you today, you're here today to meet with Jesus, not to meet with me, not to meet with your other friends that are here, but to meet with Jesus because God's the one who said, this is my son, follow his ways, follow his ways. So if you're here today and you're searching after Jesus, you're wondering, should I surrender my life to him? I'm going to tell you one thing today you need to be listening for, Jesus calling your name. He's calling your name today. And he's asking you, will you come with me up the mountain and be transformed? So church today, that's your mission. As we spend the next few minutes in worship, I think we have a couple of worship songs. So you got a little bit of time. Let's climb the mountain with Jesus today. Let's climb the mountain to the top and let's let Jesus transform the way we think today, the way we live today, the way we behave today, the way we love today. Let's let Jesus transform us. Let's let Jesus bring us into his presence just so that we can experience God today so that we can walk out of these doors and be the men and women that God's called us to be. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we come to you right now in Jesus' name with great hope. We come to you with great promise that when we seek after you, we find you. Lord, it's a journey up the mountain. It's not easy all the time. It's a challenge to climb it. We gotta get beyond ourselves. We have to get beyond our past. We have to get beyond what the enemy's trying to lie to us about. We have to get beyond those things and press into you. But Lord, your word says that we press into you, we find you. As we hunger and we thirst after you, we are filled. That's what your word says. Your word says that when we seek after you with all of our heart, we find you. You're not trying to hide from us on top of the mountain. In fact, you're walking with us up the mountain. So Lord, I pray for this church today that we would experience the very presence of Jesus Christ and that our lives would be profoundly changed from this day on. Just like every other man who met with you on the mountaintop, his life was changed from that day on. I pray for this church as we meet you, Jesus, on the mountaintop. Right now at this church, right here in these auditoriums, as we meet with you, Jesus, our lives will be transformed and changed just like yours. In Jesus' name, amen.